Some of you may go, well, this is the first Sunday. Yeah, but we have church on some other days too. Specifically Wednesdays. And I would encourage you this Wednesday to, uh, to come and get involved in, uh, in the classes. Come and get involved in the classes because there are going to be some really good ones, some terrific ones. Um, and then also to become involved and become joined to the body of Christ. I mean, if you don't know people, you can get to know some people. And if you do know people, you, you got something to give. They got something to give you. That's what happens. And it's important for that to happen in life. I need to uh, say a few words about what happened this week. Most, most of you who know him are aware of the fact that, that Danny Gilbert uh, went home to be with the Lord on Friday. And uh, two things. I've been asked, uh, if, are we going to have a memorial of any kind here? There, Danny and Karen, for those of you who don't know them, uh, Danny was an elder here. And I guess I, five years ago, was that about when they left? Um, about five years ago, they moved to Colorado and then spent some time in California and uh, were in Waco, Texas. <clears throat> the last year or so, and um, been asked if we're going to have a service, and we will. Uh, I don't know the particulars yet, and I don't know exactly when that will happen. Uh, Karen is supposed to be in town. That's Danny's wife in the next few days, and you know we'll see. We'll see what she wants to do. But I know that there are a lot in this body who who want to have some closure here who want to have some time and and I'm one of them because uh, Danny was carried very deeply in the hearts of a lot of people here and then I need to say one other thing as well I, I feel like um, as a pastor because many of you know most of you know those who already know about him passing that uh, he committed suicide and um, I just want to say that uh, Theologically, I, I, a lot of time people have problems with that, and I understand why people have problems with that. Um, I mean, the, the word does say, "Do not kill, do not murder," and as a result, we've sort of taken that very often and gone, "Well, you know, somebody who does that, they they just can't can't be saved or anything." Uh, that's not what I believe, because that's logically what I can reason out, but. Logically, I can reason out that there's absolutely no reason why God should have sent Jesus Christ down here on this earth to, to give his life for a bunch of miserable sinners like us. And the older I get, I mean, the, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us this. That, you know, if someone commits suicide, they can't be with the Lord. The Bible, I think we get in trouble when we take some things the Bible says and then we start extrapolating it out into what we think. What, what is logical to us. It's up to God. There are questions here that nobody knows the answer to but God. And I'm content to let him have that. And I just know that he's merciful. I know that he's gracious. I know that Danny loved him. So why did he kill himself? There are questions here that only God knows the answer to. Uh, but I believe I'm going to see this man again. 
and I believe I'm going to see him in the presence of the Lord, and I really want to, because this one, this one really hurt. I mean, not that any of them don't, but this one really did. So anyway, that's, that, that's what I felt like I needed to say. Welcome to the end of the world. Uh, it's 2013. We are here. Uh, inquiring Mayans want to know. And we're going to answer <laughs> some questions and probably create more questions than we're going to answer. But that's, that's okay. Um, would you stand with me? We're going to read a passage of Scripture from Isaiah that you may not be familiar with, but it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Bring in all your idols to tell us what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are God's. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, and your works are utterly worthless. He who chooses you is detestable. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth and the power and the life of your word. I pray that you would, uh, that the Holy Spirit would inhabit this place and not just this physical room, but us, inhabit us, our vessels. I pray that you would quicken us, make us alive to what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We uh, have endured another end of the world prediction, and uh, we're here. What I would like to do, well, if we weren't here, we'd be there, and I could say hallelujah to that one too, but hallelujah that we're here. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to start off by looking back at a few end of the world predictions. Um, and there's a method to this badness, so there, there's actually a reason why, why we're doing this. Uh, in the Western world, anyway, the first uh, significant end of the world prediction was in 634 B.C., and this was made by the Romans. And the reason why the Romans thought that the world would come to an end in 634 B.C. was because Rome had been founded in 514 B.C. And this is 120 years later. And there had been 12 eagles involved mythologically in the founding of Rome, and the consideration was that they each stood for 10 years. So 120 years later, poof. Wonder why it didn't happen. Let's jump ahead almost a millennium to 500 A.D. Many predicted that uh, 500 A.D. would be the, the year that it would all come to an end. Why do you think that they predicted that? Because 500 A.D. is a nice round number. At least that's why most of them predicted that. One of them predicted that based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. And I don't even want to go there. <laughs> Jump ahead to 992 A.D. And we're jumping over a whole bunch of them, you understand here. But we're just hitting some highlights. 992 A.D. Why 992 A.D.? Well, it's not a nice round number. But in 992 A.D., for the first time, Good Friday coincided with the Feast of the Annunciation. So you've got to expect something's going to happen, right? 
Actually, they weren't predicting the world would end that year. They predicted that the Antichrist would be revealed for whatever reason when the Feast of the Annunciation and Good Friday coincided and within the next three years the world would end, but it didn't. 1000 A.D., why do you think one, there weren't even, you can't even count all the predictions for 1000 A.D. being the end of it. Why do you think 1000 A.D.? That's an even bigger nice round number than 500. Let's try 1033. Anybody got any guesses? thousand years after the death burial and resurrection of christ i that that sounds like a likely candidate for me and it didn't happen but 2033 is coming up pretty soon just saying not making any predictions but i am saying 2000 we've all lived through that one and a lot of people predicted 2000 would be the year uh, Sir Isaac Newton was one of the ones who thought 2000 would be a year that and it was a year <laughs> but, but thought it would be the year and it's a very nice round number Edgar Cayce um, well known for making false predictions uh, Sun Mung Moon the uh, uh, leader of the Unification Church founder of the Unification Church uh, Lester Summerall good old southern boy um, Radio evangelist, Jonathan Edwards, good old northern boy, um, Puritan evangelist, and of course the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, why would I say of course? Because the Jehovah's Witnesses are the kings of false predictions of the second coming of the Lord and the end of the world. Among the years that they have predicted is, uh, would be 1874, this is all A.D., 1878, 1881, 1908 through 1910, 1914, 1916, 1920, 1925, 1941, and then there was a lengthy break before they came back with 1974, 1984, 1994, uh, and then 2000 and it's about time for another prediction but we, we don't have one yet now Margaret was asking me said how do you how do you make all those predictions and they don't come true and how do you explain it well there were some explanations for some of this but one of the ways is you change your name but because in, in the in for the for those first half a dozen predictions or so they were actually called the Bible student movement uh, and then changed changed their name some of you may remember that we escaped another one. We dodged another bullet in 2011, 521.11. Anybody remember that? And Harold Camping, what a lot of people probably didn't know who were looking forward to 521.11 was that he first predicted September the 6th, 1994. And then when that didn't happen, he predicted September the 29th, 1994. It's kind of like buying lottery tickets here. And then, uh, and then October the 2nd, 1994. And then he gave up on 94 and predicted March the 31st, 1995. None of those happened, so 2011. Uh, when 521 didn't happen, he decided it would be 1021, 11. Uh, the scripture says that if a prophet comes and predicts something and it doesn't come to pass, you don't need to listen to that prophet anymore. 
because that prophet's not from the Lord. That's a very simple concept. Harold Camping isn't alone. Cotton Mather, famous uh, Puritan minister, predicted 1697, 1716, and 1736. There have been various dates suggested based on the supposed date of creation. 1555, 1558, 1562, 1597, 1598, which tells me that nobody really knows what the date of creation was. Or if they do, it doesn't have anything to do with when the world is going to end. Not always just uh, Christians. The astrologers uh, really begin to come into play in 1524, they predicted um, February the 1st, 1524, beginning with a great flood in London, the earth would be destroyed. And that didn't work, so they went with February the 1st, 1624. Uh, and, this, and this one has a very specific date, February the 1st, 1624. Uh, and this one has a very special place in my heart. Uh, because February the 1st, 1624, 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 February the 1st, 
What a name. I mean, what a cool name. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Impressive. And then, of course, there was the Mayan madness this last year, which really had nothing to do with the Mayans because the Mayans didn't predict that the world was going to come to an end in 2012. It had to do with us because we're just so hungry to get some of this stuff. Several comet predictions have been made over the years. 1654, uh, April the 5th, 1719, October the 16th, 1736. Those of you, uh, some, how many of you remember the comet Kahutek? Oh, yeah, we got some old people here who, you know, watched the news back in the day. This, was, this wasn't that long ago. It was, it was 19, uh, 1970, 73. And uh, a guy named David Berg, who was the founder of the Children of God sect, uh, and he predicted that Kahutek would come and destroy the earth. I have a theory about it. I think he was right. But how many of you ever remember Burl Ives? Yeah, well, Burl, Burl Ives recorded a song called The Tale of the Comet Kahutek, and it was so bad, I think Kahutek was too embarrassed to come and uh, visit the earth. I think Burl Ives saved the world. <laughs> Can't find it on YouTube, by the way. It's that bad. 1997 Hale-Bopp Comet, the Heaven's Gate cult, a guy named Marshall Applewhite, the leader of that group, uh, he and 39 of his cult members committed suicide so that their spirits could go and join the spaceship that would evacuate the righteous from Earth. One of my favorite comet ones, and the last one I'll mention, in 1910, a, a gal named Camille Flammarion said of Halley's Comet, that it would, in quote, impregnate the atmosphere and possibly snuff out all life on the planet. She did not do well in predicting that. She did well, however, in selling comet pills to protect people from toxic gases. Okay, I have two more because these are just too good. In 1806, there's a lady named, <laughs> a lady named Mary Bateman in Lees, England. And I may be related to her because my grandmother on my mother's side was a Bateman uh, from England, but his lady named Mary Bateman, who's a chicken, predicted <laughs> the, uh, the end of the world. And uh, what, what happened is the chicken was laying eggs that said, Christ is coming. <laughs> Only it was found out later that this was a hoax. What had happened? I mean, not that anybody saw. Oh, yeah, who knew? <laughs> who, who saw that coming? Uh, it was found out later that this lady would get the eggs and engrave on them, Christ is coming. <laughs> it wasn't good for the chicken. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she had this, she had this method, uh, uh, and I don't even want to know what it was, but let's just say that the, the, the chicken was involved in the hoax. The chicken was the other one who knew about it, although didn't know really necessarily what she was doing at the time, and hopefully she was under anesthesia when it was... 
And then, one more time, May the 19th, 1780, who can forget that? The Connecticut General Assembly apparently declared the end of the world because the sky had turned so dark. Others thought that it may have had something to do with the dense fog, the intense cloud cover, and the forest fires that were nearby, all the smoke <laughs> coming off of them. But uh, the Connecticut General Assembly thought otherwise. The point is this. We are obsessed with knowing the future. And we always have been, and this obsession causes us to be easy prey. We buy books, we buy comic pills, we read chicken eggs, we do all kinds of, of ridiculous things, and we have a tendency to think that, well, aren't those people silly? And they are. But guess what? We're people. We are people. And we kind of go, oh, we wouldn't fall for, no, we wouldn't, no, nothing like that. Yes, we would. Well, we, we, would, we would gather up and collect over a, a, a thousand dehydrated meals and put them aside for, you know, it's going to be a bad year, something like that. Yeah, we would, we would do that. And we do it because we listen to the wrong voices. We don't understand which voices we should be listening to. It's not just us. It's the same reason, and it's not just about the end of time. It's the same reason why Saul sought out the witch of Endor to find out what was going to happen in the battle the next day. The Lord's not going to tell me I need to go find a witch. It's the reason why uh, Ahaziah, the king of, uh, king of Israel, after he'd had a bad accident, sent to Beelzebub, the detestable uh, god of Ekron, to find out if he was going to recover or not. Because he wanted to know about the future was willing to listen to other voices. And those voices are more prevalent today than they were yesterday. And they will be more prevalent tomorrow and more persuasive tomorrow than they are today. It's important for us to understand that. that that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series. See, there will come a day when the world will end. And the Bible gives us information about that. The, See, the Bible doesn't predict things. The Bible foretells. And there's a huge difference in predicting and foretelling. The Bible foretells because God already knows. And he, and he can reveal. Those who predict are guessing what's going to happen. The Bible tells us that the world will come to an end someday. Very, very quickly, there are a number of verses that reference it, but three quick ones. Isaiah 65, 17. Behold, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. 2 Peter 3, 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Sounds to me like the world will end. Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So the Bible does tell us that it will happen. We don't know when this will happen. But we know some signs to look for. There are some things to be aware of. Some of them are, are 
pretty well known even by people not well versed in the Bible. There will almost certainly be uh, an actual physical leader unlike any the world has ever known who will arise and that's the Antichrist and we're going to spend one of the weeks in this series letting you know what the Bible has to say about him. There will almost certainly be a brief period of tribulation unmatched on the in the history of the world and I say brief probably three to seven years uh, and there are things to look for I mean who knows well, are we in it now I don't know here in this country we are extremely insulated from a lot of bad stuff going on in the world we got enough of our own bad stuff but but it, it doesn't even begin to match what it is a bunch of places. There's a bunch of places where you'd be hard-pressed hard to convince them that the great tribulation isn't already upon us. If it gets any greater than this. It... And probably at some point in time there will be some point at which the saints are, are taken off the earth. Well, what, is, what does the Bible have to say about that? There's a lot of uh, uh, information conflicting information out there what we're going to do what we'll each of these topics we'll take at least one week on and and talk about what the bible has to say about it we'll talk about these we'll talk about other signs and we'll try to equip you to not be taken in by other voices not be taken in by by false prophets you see a lot of those uh, prophecies concerning the end of the world didn't necessarily say the world's going to end they said christ is coming back this is when he's coming back and some of them even after it came and went and nothing seemed to happen went oh yeah he came he's here but Jesus said that if somebody says to you there he is out in the desert or here he is in the inner room don't follow them because they're wrong because when the son of man comes it'll be like the lightning flashing from the east even to the west and everyone will see him but you see if you don't know that and somebody says he's here then it's easy to be taken in. All it takes is a few tricks, a few miracles, little little woohoo, and we're there. We're all over it if we don't know. So we'll try to equip, become equipped about these and other signs. We will not be trying to predict a time. You're not going to end up this series and go out going, we know when it is. I mean, we could sell comet pills if we knew what time it was, but this isn't about making money. Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Why is that hard to understand? That's a pretty clear sentence to me. That's a very clear sentence. In fact, in, in, in one of the, the past, I think in Mark where they asked Jesus about it, he said, it's not for you to know. You aren't supposed to know about that. Because see, if you know when it is, well, you know, if it's 50 years from now, not very many of us are going to go, 50 years, we've only got 50 years, let's get busy, let's serve the Lord. You know, most of us are going to kind of go, where's neutral, you know? We can put it in cruise for a while. He's not coming. And if, it's, and, it, and, if we, and if we hear it's next week, 
then yeah, boy, we got to get busy. We got to serve the Lord. I got to start living right. I got to start repenting. I, I got to get ready for the Lord's return. And then what happens the week after next? When he didn't. 1988, there was this book, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988, and they set the date for it and everything, and the, the Sunday before that date, we had visitors. <laughs> we had salvations that day. I don't know who any of those people were because none of them ever came back. I'm assuming they were raptured. <laughs> that, that was facetiousness. And we will only be getting our information from God's Word itself. There are a lot of voices vying for our attention, but there's only one that's trustworthy. And, and, and that one does not take kindly to his sheep listening to strange voices and following strangers. Present your case, says the Lord. Tell us what is going to happen. I love this passage of Scripture. I love it in particular where Jesus, well, Jesus, it's actually the Lord, where the, where the Lord is, is saying to these idols and these um, other gods that people are following, you know, do something. You know, tell us what's going to happen. Oh, you can't do that. Okay, well, tell us what you did. Oh, you can't do that. You didn't do anything. Well, do something so that we'll know you're alive, so that we'll know that there's something there to fear, that there's something there for us to, for us to consider. And so let's look at the Lord's track record very quickly. Let's see what he has done. He brought Israel out of Egypt. This is a big deal. I mean, this happened, this happened 3,000 years ago, but listen, that's a big deal, people. Uh, and if you read the Scripture, and hopefully a lot of you are doing that this year, you'll again and again and again and again and again and again, you'll find this referenced that the Lord delivered Israel out of Egypt. And what He did, He parted the Red Sea and He stopped the Jordan and He, he, did all, he provided for them in the wilderness. You'll hear about that because the reason why He did that was so that people like us could look back and consider, wow, this God does stuff. This is a God who gets, who gets involved in the earth and does things on it. Not only that, he brought Israel back from Babylon when they, when they went into captivity in Babylon. And, you know, we may kind of think, well, they, you know, they were in Babylonian captivity, but Babylon fell and everybody went back home and a lot of nations did that. No, a lot of nations didn't do that. A lot of people did that. Only one nation did it. Only one nation that we know of was actually restored as a nation after that happened. He brought Israel back in 1948 to a country. For, for, for centuries, students of the Bible were having a real tough time with the fact that, wow, looks like a lot of stuff that's got to happen needs an Israel, but there isn't one. So how do we, you know, how is that going to work? And so all these crazy theories came up about who Israel really was and, you know, lost tribes and blah, 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 and all this business. Now, God brought them back. There's an Israel now, people. You know, and, and whether you agree or disagree with them politically, they are significant in the, in the end time workings of the Lord. And he brought them back. Uh, you know, being God's uh, chosen people isn't all that it's cracked up to be. You know, you may, you may think, boy, I'd like to be God's chosen people. You get all the ice cream. No, you don't. You get 400 years of slavery and bondage so God can deliver you. You end up with Babylonian captivity. You, all of the things that they had to go so, so that God could reveal himself to us. Oh, and yes, he also raised Christ from the dead. 
And, and you may go, well, you know, it's a story. I mean, you wouldn't, but people out there would go, oh, that's just a story in the Bible. Listen, there are things that historians use to establish what happened in history. And the number one thing among those, the, the gold standard that a historian can get for reporting a historical fact is an eyewitness. And you get several eyewitness accounts, and they, and they, they mesh, you got something. Not, and you may go, well, these guys had a lot to, they had a lot to gain by, by making up this story about Christ rising from the dead. Like what? Martyrdom? You know, I mean, they didn't, there was no TBN in those days, people. I'm sorry, they, they, weren't, they weren't raising money on broadcast. They were just, they were just suffering for the Lord and for their testimony because they knew what they knew, what, our, what we have seen, what our hands have touched and handled. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. So that's what, that's what our God has done, if you want to consider. And, and his predictions, he told Abraham that Israel would be in bondage for 400 years, enslaved for 400 years. They were actually they were in, they were in Egypt for 430 years. They probably weren't enslaved the whole time. So, you know, 400 years, that's, that's pretty close. That's right on it. He had Jeremiah declare 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And, and let me, I don't want to mess anybody up here, but let me mess you up here. Uh, because they weren't in bondage. They weren't in captivity for 70 years. There's, there are several ways you can figure it, but the longest that they were in captivity was 67 years. But you know why they were only in captivity for 67 years? Daniel prayed. If you go to the book of Daniel, you discover that he studied the prophecies of Jeremiah, realized that they were supposed to be in captivity for 70 years, and he thought, it's getting close. It's getting pretty close. And he, and he went to the Lord, and he prayed. He, he stood in the stead of Israel, con- Confessed, uh, confessed sins on behalf of his people, asked God to be merciful, asked God to send them home, asked God to shorten the days. And you know what? Prayer works. God shortened the days. In fact, toward, in, in the end times, Jesus is, is saying that it's going to be so bad that nobody will make it unless those days are shortened. So he says, pray for those days to be shortened. Now, he wouldn't say pray for those days to be shortened if there's no way they can be shortened. You know, God does that. We get so hung up on, you know, hard numbers. Well, hard numbers are just numbers, hard things. Prayer is a powerful thing. God is merciful. And then, uh, just one more here, uh, Cyrus, I love this one, because this is a prophecy that came from, uh, from Isaiah over 100 years before this guy Cyrus was born. But God named him. He named him as the one who would, who would uh, deliver Israel. He says, who says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. It hadn't even been destroyed at the time that Isaiah wrote this. Cyrus was the guy who conquered Babylon and gave the decree that the Jews could go back to their land and decree that Jerusalem should be rebuilt. 
and also that, that, that the temple should be rebuilt. Now, it wasn't rebuilt entirely during his lifetime, but the foundations were laid. And then later on, he goes on to say, I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city, set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord. No ransom paid. No, no, no gun held to his head. It was, it was just this guy who's not even born yet is the one who's going to set my exiles free and tell them they can go home for no payment. And that's exactly what he did. That, I don't know about you, but I'm impressed. And I know that, you know, I know that people out there in the world take a different view of things and take a different look at things. But guys, we don't have to, our God doesn't have to take a backseat to anybody, because the stuff that He has done, the track record that He's got in terms of of revealing the future, I trust what I trust what He's got to say about the rest of it. Now then. And, and this, is, this doesn't even consider all the multitude of predictions regarding Messiah. But let's look at what the other voices have done. Let's look at their track record. Okay, there it is. Zip. Zero. Nothing. We live in interesting times which is an ancient Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. And there are lots of reasons to walk in fear these days if, if all you got is what you got. There are lots of reasons to walk in, in anxiety and fear these days if the voices you're listening to are those voices rather than his voice but if you're listening to his voice you know that the the changes that are coming are i mean there's going to be change and when christ returns it, you know it's not going to be like yippee he's here i mean it will he'll be beautified glorified for those who are waiting for him but for many it's going to be the most terrifying thing that could possibly happen when he comes but the troubles that will precede this are like birth pains, Jesus says. They're like birth pains. And you know, I mean, I've never obviously given birth, but I've seen it a few times. And, and I know it, it can, it can be kind of hard, but when the baby comes, wow, it's new life here in the world. This is, this is a wonderful thing. This is a glorious thing. And then they become teenagers. And it's still a glorious thing. It's still a wonderful thing. But as we approach the end, there will be false teachers and false prophets. That, that is absolutely guaranteed. That's probably the chief sign to look for. And, and, if, you, and if you go back and you do any kind of uh, study, as obviously I've been doing a little bit of, of predictions of the end of the world you'll you'll find out that and and i know that you know the further back you go the maybe the fewer records they are uh, the less we might know about it but but still i mean it's not like uh people were making predictions of the end of the world every other month back a thousand years ago or 1500 years ago 
It is now. Those voices that are saying, it's coming, this is it, I figured it out, this is a sign, are increasing exponentially as we get close to the end. And Jesus said they would. He said many, many false prophets, many false Christs would come, but we have not been left as orphans. We have the Word. We have the Holy Spirit. And God is our refuge. God is our strength. Never present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and it will, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and they will, and though its waters roar and, and foam and, and the mountains quake with their surging, though the hills skip like rams, the, the, the mountains like little lambs, and they will. But we need not fear if we're listening to the right voice, if we're tuned in to the right one. And what we want to do over these next six weeks now that we have left is we want to we want to try and tune our ears to that voice. Tune our ears to what the Word actually has to say. Because that will be your defense. When strangers' voices are heard, you'll know that's not Him. That's not Him. And maybe we might even tune our ears to the trumpet, the shout, the real thing. When it comes, would you stand with me? I love you guys, and I, I love being here with you, and I love going to heaven with you, too. Looking forward to that. But we're not there yet. And Things can be kind of hard in this world at times. They are. Those who are going to pray with people, come forward at this time. If you're here and you need prayer, if you need to know Christ as your Savior, we'd love to introduce you to Him. And we can do that. If you're here and you uh, just have a need, just have a need, you come because our God's got a real track record when it comes to meeting needs he's got a real track record he, he gets involved in our stuff and it's always for good always for good healing restoration wisdom whatever you need you come and if you don't need to come and pray worship for a few moments he's worthy set up an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can inhabit and fill these prayers We'll wait on you while we worship for a while. Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Give myself away so you can use me. Here I am, here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hand. 
Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. And God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who created the world and who will one day make all things new, may his peace and his comfort rest in you. May you hear and know his voice. And may you have the assurance and the security of those whose trust and hope is in him through Jesus Christ our Lord. 